This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. More than 20 years after the United States government began detaining terrorism suspects at the Navy's Guantanamo Bay Cuba facility, we are still living with the aftermath of Gitmo's extraordinary status as a place existing beyond the rules of law and war. Just this week, the United States government announced it had repatriated to Saudi Arabia Mohammed al-Khatani, an alleged al-Qaeda operative who is accused of being the 20th hijacker on 9-11, but missed his flight. He was captured in Afghanistan in 2001 and sent to Guantanamo Bay in 2002. Charges against him were dropped in 2008, but he stayed put until this week. A review board determined he was mentally ill and no longer a threat to the United States, so off he went. And last week, the Supreme Court ruled that the government can block Guantanamo Bay detainee Abu Zubaydah from seeking the testimony of two CIA contractors about operations allegedly in Poland, where he says he was detained and tortured. The court said the government had a right to keep that information secret. What's strange about that ruling is that many of the CIA contractors and others involved in the detainment and torture of terrorism suspects have already been interviewed, and all you need to view them is an HBO Max subscription. Filmmaker Alex Gibney has long chronicled the post-9-11 world, and his most recent documentary, The Forever Prisoner, examines the history of Zubeda, who was captured in 2002 in Pakistan, tortured, and sent to Gitmo, and has never formally been charged with a crime. In his film, Gibney sits for long interviews with people like James Mitchell, the CIA contractor who devised the agency's so-called enhanced interrogation techniques. That's what normal people just call torture. He also interviews other key figures, including former FBI agent Ali Soufan, who was present when Zubeda was captured and interrogated him before he was tortured. There is more in Gibney's film about Zabeda's case, including video depositions with CIA leaders like Jose Rodriguez, who oversaw the torture program. When The Forever Prisoner was released, I spoke with Gibney about his movie and the case of Abu Zabeda. I wrote a story about it for Roll Call at the time, but there is a lot more in the interview that we here at Political Theater thought would make for a good podcast, especially with the recent developments about Zabeda and al Qatani. You mentioned this a little bit uh, in your narration in the movie where you're discussing that you sued and got access to some of Ali Sufan's documents uh, from the Thailand site uh, where he was... Oh, we got his book unredacted. Yeah, and getting getting his book unredacted. But were you... What Was that the trigger for revisiting this? Because it, 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 trying to figure out new angles for this because it wouldn't... You know, it is... I mean, I know there are a lot of angles, but sometimes the... You know, there's so much that's been covered in it. What was the trigger for you to, to go back to this story? I guess there were a couple of triggers, and one was Ali Soufan, because over the years, you know, the idea that his book was still unredacted was crazy. But there's some other people that had approached me, um, my pal Ray Bonner, and said he was interested in doing something, you know, because uh, he had become interested in that memo, or the cable that came from the black side to... Um, CIA headquarters, the incommunicado cable. The one where they were saying you shouldn't be 
talking and putting legal terms in? Where, where no, 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 no. The, the one that, that is at the very beginning of the movie where, where the black side is cabling back to, to the headquarters and basically saying, oh. you know, look, we'll start to torture him. If he dies, don't worry, we'll cremate him. Nobody will ever oh, know. Okay. But he may survive, and if he does, we want your reassurances that he's not ever going to be talked to anybody. And the cable comes back. Rest assured, he will remain incommunicado for the remainder of his life. And that idea, because Ray is a former investigative journalist and also former uh, human rights lawyer, you know, was like the fundamental upending of the idea of habeas corpus, right? So th that was interesting to me. And he wanted to pursue a film about Abu Zubaydah. Uh, and I was thinking that I would produce it if, if somebody came on board to direct it. And then um, and Kathy Clark, who's another producer, was also pursuing the same thing, possibly with another director. He dropped out. Long story short, I felt enough time had passed and that there was an aspect to this story that I felt hadn't been told, that I had started to tell in Taxi and was worth revisiting. And that was the story of like, how did this happen originally? In other words, how, knowing what everybody knew, and the CIA knew well that these techniques didn't work, they testified to that effect before Congress. How, does, how did they then go back and then allow them or convince themselves that actually they're gonna go down this path again? Right. How does that happen? And also, how does it lead to where we're at now, where we still have this, you know, prison, Guantanamo, where people are there not because of what they did to us, because of what we did to them. So right. for all those reasons, it seemed worth investigating. And it's gotten a, there's a timeliness. I mean, it's not fully related to your, your the topics that you explore mostly in this, this movie, but the Supreme Court we're expecting some sort of ruling sometime soon about whether some of the information in Poland that came out of this Poland, you know, criminal case uh, with him uh, will be. I mean, we. My, I'm the legal affairs editor, also. Yeah, yeah. For, so, for roll so, call. So, so the question is I'm whether they will that. be permitted yeah. to uh, question Mitchell and Jessen uh -huh. about what happened in Poland. Right. And of course, the government. Even the Biden administration, I would say even the, the Biden administration has said they don't want that to happen right. because it would reveal what everybody knows, which right. is that there was a black side in Poland, right? I mean, for 15 years we've known this, right? Uh, I know, but this gets <laughs> yeah. back to some of what, what, what was so frustrating about Zero Days, too. It's like you say, we all know that there was an attack on the tots. Mm -hmm. Can we not say there was an attack on the tots? No, it's classified, right? So, um, yeah. You, you use some uh, a little bit of footage from one of my favorite films, Manchurian Candidate, to kind of, right. you know, communicate some of this. But were you also tempted at any point to use some imagery from The Prisoner, uh, the little television series about the guy who was in prison in a sort of seaside area and didn't know why? And... There are a lot of films that would have been interesting, and, and The Prisoner would have been a good one. That was the one with, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, the, yeah, the, it, it's a... Not secret agent man. The, the <laughs> McGowan. Yes. It? Yeah. I think, uh, it, it's such a weird piece of art. You know. That, well, but that, that here show. is this idea. This and now idea. it seems like a documentary. Yeah, but, <laughs> but but this idea of somebody just held forever mm -hmm. for no, without any ability to challenge it. You know, that's something we think of as being, <laughs> you know, the kind of thing that authoritarian regimes do. Right. Yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing. I, back to the 
Mitchell and, and uh, oh, sorry, there, oh, sorry. One other thing I would say in terms of why, mm -hmm. right? you know, for a long time I've become more and more obsessed with this idea of the end justifies the means. That is to say, you know, if there's one thing I've I feel I've learned in terms of doing the many films I've done over the years, the first step on the path to corruption is usually somebody saying, you know, the end justifies our my noble end justifies the means I'm about to use. And watch out for what happens next, because somebody might come along who is not so noble. Well, <laughs> um, the, the point is, then the you start things. to corrupt yourself. It's called the cops call it noble cause corruption. Mm -hmm. Once you believe you're in the right, then you think you're entitled to do anything. Right. That that came up so, you know, sort of stringently when Mitchell was saying at one point that, you know, at at a certain point we. We we realize that the ticking time bomb, realize you know this this uh, you know this theoretical construct where you know if there's a ticking time bomb, you torture somebody to get information about where it is, was a looming time bomb, and you could see the the gears sort of turning where he was he he looked like he, he was he, almost that's yeah. a moment where he's actually embarrassed about what he's just right, said, right? And then finally he says, I don't want to make light of it. You'd have to ask the CIA, right? Right? It was a long time. It was clearly ridiculous. Right. And I guess that's the thing, too. I mean, like, you've got this conflict, right, between professionalism and, and somebody like Ali Soufan. Right. And this obsession with um, the hot young thing, you know, whether it's like a torture or some new way of interrogating or whatever. Or just basically it's theoretical bullshit, you know, which is what, <laughs> you know, Mitchell and all these guys were selling. And... That, that just comes up over and over and over again. And I just like, at a certain point, did you just have trouble keeping a straight face when you're around people like Mitchell? Because it's just, I mean, my eyes rolled so far back in my head sometimes when he, it was him or Rodriguez or Jesse, you know. And, and Rodriguez is really the jaw dropper when he says, I mean, here's a guy who basically, I mean, you, to boil it down, it's like late on a Friday afternoon, he gets an assignment. You got to find somebody to run this new torture system. Right. And, you know, it's like, calls his lawyer, oh yeah, my wife knows somebody. Okay. You know, and then somebody pursues, the ACLU lawyer pursues him further. He says, well, I just took it for granted they knew what they were doing. Wow. Which seems to be a consistent thing. Like, oh, that's, it just seemed like a good idea. It just seemed like a good, like, it's yeah, somebody it, it's like, okay, he, he sounds good. Let's go. Right. This is how you end up with, like, felons in, in like, you know, there, there, I came from not the, my current employer, but there was a, a situation where somebody was hired in our newsroom as a consultant who had a felony, right. you know, charge. And I was like, you're kidding me. Like, everybody knows this guy is bad news. And yet it just never got up to the top, right? <laughs> you know, top of the thing to it was just un, unbelievable. Is that, and that and these are the these are supposed to be the smart guys, right? The, the CIA is, is supposed to be the Ivy League um, skull and bones, you know, right. all, all of that crew, and it's a clown car almost. It's a clown car. That's what I. That's what I. One of the things I found most jaw dropping about doing this story was what a clown car it was, and 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 one of the reasons I thought it could be a film, frankly, was when I actually did a little troll on the ACLU website and saw the Jose Rodriguez interview, which I found so chilling because it's the definition of the banality of evil. You know, it's just a guy trying to think about how to get something off his desk at 5 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, rather than, this is a really momentous thing, and we've got to figure out exactly how to do it right, by which I don't mean torture by 
by which I mean if we're going to now start doing interrogations, then we, we should look at the history of our own institution. We should look at the history of interrogations. We should think about you know, how we're going to do it and that it should be deeply and carefully considered. Obviously, you're on a time frame. But, 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 but and frankly, time, which is the word that keeps coming up in the film, becomes elastic. Right. It's, it's either something we have to do right away and that, that excuses everything, or, well, actually, we might go to prison. So now we're going to expand our time frame rather momentously in order so that we can elude any punishment. Or we'll just never charge somebody and keep them or, in or prison. He'll, we'll, or we'll, there's another time frame, too, which is forever. Right. Right. And the, the thing, when, when I was watching the depositions that you, you, know, that you mentioned of Jose Rodriguez and, and Mitchell and, and, and the, all these characters... Um, it, I couldn't help but think of some of the language, some of the language he was using to not incriminate himself, was like the same kind of language games you almost get in a Le Carre novel, where the, the the guys who are you know they're zeroing in on at the surface, the moles right. are using this very like just words pushed to the like absolute limit of worthlessness correct of that's the orwellian aspect it's that it's the tool you use to distance yourself from the dirty work that you're actually doing yeah it's i i i think also i i was also struck at the i mean you mentioned like rodriguez seems like this real apparatchik you know i mean he's now retired and you know cruising around florida and so forth and you contrast that with somebody like Daniel Jones, who I, I actually had, was able to interview him for uh, my podcast a couple of years back when the report came out, right. and uh, and you know here's a guy who just had no life <laughs> for you know seven years just in a basement like going through right. file after file after file reading literally everything yep. that they tried to bury him in uh, or even like Rizzo the, the 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 general counsel I mean you could tell that that guy probably didn't get home often <laughs> for dinner um, and then that's contrasted with people who are just like let's just uh, yeah that guy looks good get to <laughs> let's have him uh, design an entire interrogation program even though he has no experience. so reckless so careless yeah. You mentioned that you're you weren't able to film at Guantanamo again. Was that is that was that a new policy or was that that they just don't like you? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, they didn't write me and say you're not coming because uh -huh. we don't like you. Obviously, some people have been filming, mm -hmm. though. I'm told that the restrictions are now much more severe mm -hmm. than they were under the Bush administration. Like with, I went with fewer there. people too there, yeah. fewer, fewer prisoners. But I mean, there's all sorts of things you you know they don't allow you to photograph Camp X-ray anymore, and you know there's all sorts of restrictions that they put on you that that are uh, apparently you know quite problematic and and tougher than even the ridiculous instructions that we used to get. Because I can remember when I went there in 2006, um, you know we point, we were just doing scenics. Mm -hmm. And they said, you can't film that mountain. I said, well, why not? They said, well, that mountain is classified. <laughs> <laughs> no, and the, was that a mountain in, the, in Guantanamo or was it in the Cuba? Uh, well, no, no, Cuba, it, was, it, it yeah. was Guantanamo, but it, it did contain some antennae, which might have revealed the source of the CIA prison, but I don't really think so. I mean, I think it was just jive. Because after all, you could Google Earth it. Mm -hmm. Right, you know, that's, 
it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't off limits to Google Earth. I I wonder where I mean. You know, you've you've covered so many of these principles for so long, and you know a lot of them are retiring or dying. You know, like you know, several you know people. I, I, Colin Powell just died. You know, yeah. I, not that he had anything to do with this story so much. It was more. an interesting intersection, though. Yeah, with Lawrence Wilkerson, his his guy. Well, Wilkerson, his guys is there, and and um, he hasn't. Um, he's been trying to get, you know. Um, uh, the ear of, of Mark Warner, who won't see him, because he's he's gone on a deep dive mm -hmm. in North Carolina on uh, 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 an investigation into torture, um, but can't get a hearing in, in to, the government to to understand how it all happened in in North Carolina. Are there training sites there for no no no? I, well, you know, I don't know enough about it to say. And I is where the Blackwater I, people. I. You know, I think you know it has to do with this whole federal program. Okay, you know what what happened historically, because Wilkerson was of course very interested in this. This is something I, the one aspect of this story I wish I could have brought up but couldn't fit in the film and ultimately decided to leave it out was the story of Ibn Al Sheikh Al Libby, mm -hmm. and Al Libby was the first detainee actually, high value detainee that they got, but instead of setting up a program for him, they just sent him. You know, this FBI was interrogating him. Mm -hmm. They, you know, CIA didn't feel it was fast enough, so they wrapped him up in duct tape and stuck him in a box and sent him to Egypt, where the slogan used to be, and I think this is in Looming Tower, you know, uh, ask your questions in the morning, you get your answers by the afternoon, meaning they tortured the shit out of him. Mm -hmm. And Ibn al Sheikh al Libby is the guy who revealed, though he later recanted, the connection between Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden that was then repeated and referenced in Colin Powell's, this is getting slowly back around yeah. Colin Powell, Colin Powell's appearance before the UN, just before going into Iraq. And th this whole thing of repeating things that are demonstrably false, I mean, like the, the you know, the, you know, obviously as a number three in Al-Qaeda, uh, even though demonstrably false. Even um, though they uh, knew it was yeah. demonstrably false. And it seems like that is just a part of the permanent record now, even though it's not <laughs> the case. I mean, it, it's just... It's, well, that's why the CIA is very interested in narrative. I mean, um, they, you know, there's a guy named Bill Harlow, who is the ghostwriter for the Jose Rodriguez book. Mm -hmm for the Mitchell book and for the Tenet book. Okay. So that gets back to your, your earlier question about um, you know, how it is that these stories get, you, you're talking about movies and how these stories get told. And the CIA has a, has a real interest in making sure that their narrative, their fictional narrative, is perceived to be the truth. Mm -hmm because it, it, it's good for their institutional survival. Have you ever gotten a, um, any kind of brushback for the, your, kind of your criticism of Zero Dark Thirty of, of that, you know, from the Yeah, I did. Or, I mean, when, you know, I wrote a long piece criticizing that film because it, it, it suggested that Osama bin Laden was discovered because of torture. Mm -hmm. um, and and um, I was accused of of working for Harvey Weinstein to try to upend their Oscar chances, <laughs> right? And I, I thought I was just, you know, sharing with the American public something that was, you know, relevant. 
Um, but yeah, they, they, I mean, this, so the CIA through those channels, you know, objected strongly. Is there? I mean, I, I'm not as familiar. I mean, I, I love movies and of, of all shapes and, and sizes. Is there? A perception that Bigelow is sort of a right-wing type I, person because she's kind of been in director's jail for a little while now. She, I think, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that um, you know, I think the person behind the screenplay was Mark Bowl, mm -hmm. and Mark Bowl, I, I, you know, I think he, Mark Bowl, would argue that he's not a, 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 you know, a figure from the right. In fact, he would argue rather strongly he's a figure of the left, but but that he just told the truth. Mm -hmm. Well, I think he was led down the garden path by the CIA because they gave him, as we now know, extraordinary access that they didn't give to other people. Bigelow, was a director, directed the script. Right. Um, but, uh, and I thought, I mean, and I said so in my piece, Huffington is where right. I posted it. But uh, I said so in the piece that it was brilliantly directed. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a... Oh, it's an know, action espionage. It's, it's incredible. Know. Yeah. She's a hugely gifted. I've always been an admirer of her as, mm -hmm. as a director. I just objected to carrying the CIA's to the way she and Bowl carry the CIA's water. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it is it, it's a complicated movie um, in that because I enjoyed it too, but I also felt a little squeamish about <laughs> the some of the morality. They could have included other material, mm -hmm. um, which would have at least cast the CIA's contention into doubt. Yeah. i.e. somebody from the FBI who said, you know, this is bullshit. And yeah. um, uh, I'm told that they may have had such scenes and they decided to pull them out. But but the big thing was that, you know, because you're left with this overall impression. It's like some of the, the techniques they used were harsher than the CIA would argue mm -hmm. they did. But I, I think that they were actually probably some unrealistic in, in the sense the CIA went way beyond their legal authorization. Um, so there's a lot about that film to admire, except that it allows viewers to draw a conclusion that in order to get Osama bin Laden, you needed to use torture. Right. Do you see so much of this work as almost like a continuum? Because I, I've I've been I've been thinking a lot about how narratives are structured, and yeah. I'm actually reading a book about this. Guy, I don't know how he did this. He read every Marvel comic book. Oh my god! And and is sort of and wrote a book about it, and it and sort of posits that it's the longest continuous story being told. Right. You know, in terms of years and 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 I. So I've been thinking about this in in terms of continuum. You know, we started seeing the first sort of post nine eleven movies like like the next year. Right. Um, and you're you're either a director or producer or some part of like almost all the major points of it, whether it's the lead-up with Looming Tower or this film or Taxi to the Dark Side. Do you think, where do we, do you think we'll get to a, almost an end point? I mean, we have it with other wars. <laughs> but, like, how, how far away do you, do you think, I mean, feel I, I like think, you could exhaust your narrative? Yeah, I it? mean, look, and you, you don't want to exhaust the narrative by simply, you know trolling the bottom of the ocean floor for more detritus, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, what's the point of all this? I think you have to argue. And sometimes you go back to this stuff in order to engage with some kind of fundamental questions. And, and it's clear, you know, because of the, you know, the 
Trump administration was thinking about bringing back torture. Let's right. bring back waterboarding. There's that. There's the fact that you know now with the withdrawal from Afghanistan, we're still arguing about what it was we were doing in the war on terror, and um, and, and and part of the problem is if you don't admit that you made mistakes, you you're not in a position to ever correct them. You know, I remember the president of Toyota once said, you know, mistakes are precious. That would not be the CIA's point of view. Mistakes are to be, mistakes are classified, would be their point of view. Like the mountain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I think that, that, you know, telling these longer stories, and, and, and frankly, sometimes when you, when you, you know, make stories for a living, as I do, what you come to realize and sometimes people point it out to you, and sometimes you realize it yourself, that you become interested in certain ideas and issues, and that one story then leads you to another and leads you to another. In this case, the story led me back to where I had been, but there was an aspect to this that I had missed or wasn't able to get at at the time. Right. And, and again, just a note, you know, sort of for the record, too, I mean, like that, a lot of that doesn't happen without your lawsuit. To get right, Ali Sufan's notes, the That's right. unredacted parts of it. Um, it's and a lot of it doesn't happen without the torture report. Even the heavily redacted torture report, the larger one, still remains under lock and key. Right. Yeah. Jones. Uh, he's he he is arguably like I, I think the one of the real sort of stars in this in this you know narrative along right. with Sufan. You know that that. You know, just that. I mean, he's got sort of a dashing look too, right? Sure, he does. <laughs> um, but you know, just this—the amount of work that went into that, and the fact that there's the possibility that it could, that more could come out—is just really sort of stunning. Well, there's a lot more that could come out and should come out because there's a lot of details. And and again, what you want exposed is, you know, we're in a we're in a kind of existential moment, really when it comes to our government and a democracy, and people don't trust the government anymore. Well, when you look through the years at the CIA's record of leveling with people, you know, that moment in the film where Tennant is on 60 Minutes saying, we're truth tellers, and you don't have to drag it out of us. Right. And, and you kind of bullies Pelly into saying, we don't torture, we don't torture. Right. It's like, it's almost, you can see the asterisk. Under John Hughes' right. Office of Legal exactly. Counsel opinion, yeah, but, read know. the memo. Right. right, yeah, read Bill Harlow's narrative. <laughs> Once again, that was me talking with filmmaker Alex Gibney late last year after the release of his film *The Forever Prisoner*. Thanks again for listening to Political Theater, and we hope you enjoyed this one. You can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Google. NPR One, you name it, we're there. Please subscribe and please rate us. Thanks. Thanks.